0: The dustiest corners of the video store, the back row of the grindhouse, the furthest regions of celluloid. This is Video Store. and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre and the politically topical films of the VHS era. Tonight, we're doing the kind of movie that kills its sympathetic black hero off early so we can instead root for the white frat boy who tricks his girlfriend into being drugged and given an abortion against her consent. And that's this is that type of movie. I'm, of course, talking about 1990s The Suckling. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners,
1: as of this broadcast, you can watch 1990s The Suckling on Tubi for free. You are looking for a one hour and a half runtime. Anything less is going to be an edited version, missing about nine minutes. I just... Can't imagine missing a single section of this film, Luke. But hey, um, on a positive note, at least the first character to die isn't
0: black, right? Sure. But I was just trying to think as you were saying that, like, what would even the point of editing this film be? Like, who that sits down to watch this movie is concerned about gore and nudity?
1: I'd imagine it'd be for TV syndication. Can't you imagine watching this wonderful piece of cinema on, say, um, UPN 65 or TNT back in like 1993?
0: I actually can, like late at night for sure. This is something that would be on. But this is your first time watching. So first impression, what kind of movie is this? I know it's difficult to put into words. Yeah, you know,
1: normally when you ask a question like that, it's it's easier to answer. I think, but <laughs> I don't know where you start with this film. I think we need to speak about the origins, how it came to be. Do we have that? Do you? Did you? No,
0: look at we don't know any of that. This was the only film written and directed by Francis Terry, who never made another film and who I really could find no information on. There are some people who think that he was trying to make an anti-abortion film. There's some people who think he was trying to spoof anti-abortion films. And then there are people who think he was just trying to make an offensive schlocky horror movie. I don't know what's true. I apparently there are some extra features on the Blu-ray, but I don't own it. So I I haven't watched them.
1: We're sure this is a dude, right? Yeah. Positive. One hundred percent.
0: Yeah. In fact, he is he appears as an actor in Flesh Eating Mothers, which I'm sure we'll talk about someday. So I have seen this dude. I know what he looks like. I don't
1: know where to how to start this episode. I I legitimately do not know. Like, I didn't even answer your question.
0: Let me try this. So the basic plot of this film is that a young couple, the girl has gotten pregnant. The boyfriend wants her to get an abortion. She does not. So they go to an abortion clinic slash brothel. And this takes place in the 70s, by the way. And... He has her drugged by the madame of the of the brothel, Big Mama, and given an abortion against her consent. The aborted fetus is flushed down the toilet and returns, mutated by toxic waste to terrorize everyone in the house. So do you think that this film is trying to be comedic or is it trying to be serious horror? This film
1: feels like it's trying to be some Christian fascist wet dream. This is like propaganda that would be used to radicalize very young, ignorant people as to the dangers of abortion, drugs, crime, prostitution, everything, everything on the docket. And, uh, feel like it's not trying to be funny although it does have its moments and they do really do not seem like they're intentionally going for humor at any point
0: so i i can totally see that interpretation it's not actually how i read the film i don't know if this was the intent of the director or not but the way I read this is one, it's overtly comedic. I think it's trying to be funny. I just think it's really, really bad at the tone because it has the tone of like a sleazy grindhouse flick from the 70s that's truly you know, dragging you down into the bottom of the gutter with it. That's what it feels like. But the actual content and special effects and dialogue sound comedic to me. I think that this movie isn't really an anti-abortion movie. I think it takes a whole lot of social causes, everything from integration to legalized sex uh, work to um, to abortion, obviously to education to like the patriarchy and the role of women. It, it just takes all of these different social issues and throws them into a pot together and tries to make it as nasty and offensive as possible. I think that's what's going on.
1: This film though, you're right. It has a total issue. It feels like it should be more like flamboyant or something. It's missing... Like the right kind of energy to hit that grindhouse feel. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to articulate that.
0: I have some thoughts on that, but I'm going to save that for later in the episode. For now, let's just say that most of the people in the movie uh, didn't go on to make anything else. Some of them don't even have names in the movie. Like, you know, when we struggle to remember characters' names. In this movie, some don't have any. IMDB credits the main female character as "girl." Wow, and that's our main character. So this movie is pretty unique, I think, for 1990, in that it is truly a diverse cast of characters. We have like four different races/slash ethnicities represented, and seemingly all different social classes and They're all interacting with one another, albeit in horrible ways. Do you think that this movie is like positive for diversity or do you think that it's offensive?
1: Well, considering all of the minority roles are played by criminals, pimps, drug pushers, bodyguards, is that really positive representation?
0: I don't know because I think that the the most identifiable like appealing person in the movie is Sherman. Who's the black guy who kind of plays the pimp role. He's the leader at the beginning and is helping everyone like, you know, keep it together. I think he's probably the most positive character in the movie. And in a, in a, in a modern movie, he would probably be the lead, like the hero, right? Or think about not living dead. He's a lot like Ben, who is really the hero of that film. Um, so yeah, I think he's portrayed positively.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, so this is a, this is a veteran. I actually, I don't know if he was in any wars. They don't really go into backstory that much for him, but he used to be in the army, got out. And then I guess this was the only thing he could get for work. This really yep. felt like a character that, um, that could have had been more fleshed out.
0: Yeah. I would say, honestly, though, the white people are the most despicable people in the film. Like in some ways it's turning, you know, on the positive side, I think that it's, it's portraying people with all kinds of characteristics, regardless of race, it's being truly representative. It's showing a black protagonist who at least for half of the movie is admirable, but then it kills him off early and every, like you said, all of the people in the movie, th- this diversity is only in the context of poverty, right? It, yeah. it, it, it's just showing that these wealthy white guys can come or, or you know, young college kids, basically the, the gentrifiers, right? Can come into an impoverished space filled with people of color, filled with sex workers, and basically take advantage of it and that see like for 1990 that's almost a profound setup i think
1: sure but do you think it was intended
0: i don't know
1: yeah i think it might just be a, a fluke here's my here's my theory on why they uh, built sherman up to be like golden boy of the film have you ever seen a uh, deep blue sea actually no no No. Okay, I've seen this motif in a couple different films, but I think this might be the oldest one I've seen it in, unless we've covered something else I'm not remembering, where you take a character, you frame him as like the golden boy hero, he's gonna make everything all right, and then you just suddenly kill him off to build tension to really put the audience in that mindset that, oh, everyone else is totally fucked if he can't make it.
0: So I might be giving too much credit for the film, to the film, but first, I think they're deliberately paying homage to *Night of the Living Dead*. I think they want you to think of this character as Ben and remember that situation where people were also caught in a house, and there also were racist white people who were, you know, challenging his authority. And I think that it's intentional that they took that character and made him. A black person or a person of color like i i agree that there's a little bit of a bait and switch where like you know it's a shocker in the middle of the film but they could have made that shocker about the college kid like it didn't have to be him they they made it him and i think that may say something about his value in the movie
1: would there be something contradictory though of putting the frat Boy, boyfriend in that role though because he's the entire reason they're at that house to begin with like yeah, I, even if you don't want to view this as some sort of like moralist tale he is still the one pushing the abortion it doesn't seem like he's going to be the kind of guy to put himself out there and like ring lead everybody to victory
0: and that's why I don't think this film is really like a serious anti-abortion effort because he should be the most despicable person in the movie if we're anti-abortion, and yet he becomes essentially our protagonist, like the best person in the movie, which isn't saying much. Yeah, I mean, this competition isn't fierce. No. All right, let's 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 play the trailer, and then we'll walk through some of the story. meet
1: mommy and daddy I told you I won't tell anyone that you will Mommy's little darling is becoming mommy's little mutant terror, The Suckling.
0: What is going on? Locked in. Yes, trapped in
1: a bordello, mommy and daddy must try and survive their wayward offspring.
0: What the hell is this?
1: If you're looking for nail biting action in suspense, see The Suckling.
0: (laughs) The Suckling. So that trailer was really done like an old Grindhouse trailer, not like a 90s trailer. And that's how this movie is done. It does not feel like it's 1990. It feels like this was genuinely made in the 70s. The suckling. He
1: said it like seven times.
0: That's how those old trailers did, though, especially at the drive-in. I think they had to keep saying it so you'd remember it because it's not like you could go look it up on the internet.
1: No, I don't know, feels manipulative. But I suppose it's well, all marketing, right? It's all marketing.
0: But anyway, does the movie strike you that way? Does it feel like the 70s?
1: This does not feel like 1990. Uh just like watching it blind without knowing anything beforehand, I would have swore this film was like mid-80s.
0: So it's supposed to take place during the 70s, and I think they got the visual perfect, the the color saturation, the film quality, the little lines. Like this is basically doing what Tarantino and Rodriguez did in Grindhouse, but you know, 15 years earlier. Um, I think they're very effective. Where this, where the, you, where it gives itself away is in the fashion. Because the characters are all dressed like it's 1988, which is probably when this was filmed, right? And uh, But other than that, it really does feel like a maybe self-aware 1970s drive-in movie. But it starts with some introductory true story text. Do you like when movies do this?
1: Did Texas Chainsaw do this?
0: Yeah, well, Texas Chainsaw starts with the narrator reading it to you, and I think that that's the most effective one of all time.
1: Right. Whenever I think of like scrawling text, I think that's that's the one that that's the one that I always think of first. But I feel like your movie needs to earn this kind of opener. <laughs> Th- this isn't even the kind of story that can be. Uh, You can't... Okay, all right, all right. Sorry, I'm watching the fucking dildo whip scene in in the background. That was cut out of the YouTube one, too. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm not sure where the trend started, but it's not uncommon in horror films to have this opening scrawl to kind of um, promote your film as like a fake true story, right? That's something that carries on even to this day. But I feel like in order for that to have some kind of effect... Your movie needs to be somewhat grounded. So, in Texas Chainsaw, for example, it's just about a bunch of like fucked up serial killers in the woods. Far fetched, but it could happen, right? Now we have aborted fetus flushed completely whole down a toilet. Most powerful toilet. I guess they made them different back in the 70s. <laughs> There's a whole lot of issues with like size consistency in this movie but we'll get there it then mutates into a monster after flopping around in some toxic waste that just happened to be abandoned why is the toxic waste there i like to think that big mama the matron of this whole criminal operation is an entrepreneur that she has her fingers dipped in a lot of different industries and here she's just getting into the uh, you know illegal activity of like hazmat disposal she will get rid of your toxic waste for cheaper than going through legitimate you know cleanup
0: organizations or companies i actually have a so this is this might be a case of me taking the movie too seriously or giving it too much credit so that's a caveat but i used to or i used to study um urban youth organizing groups in Boston and one of their chief complaints um, that they were really fighting for was environmental justice because the poor neighborhoods had been dump sites for pollutants, they had been like diesel fume like they had not had the the upgrades in energy away from things like diesel. um, So their air was more polluted, like kids died of asthma and kids were playing in like toxic waste, um, even if it was just asbestos from construction sites. So it's not unheard of that these poor neighborhoods or especially neighborhoods of color do become the sites for this kind of disposal or did, right? I don't think this happens so much anymore although i think a lot of cleanup needs to be done but it this did, did happen in the 70s i think
1: but the portrayal of said um e- ecological you know mishandling is in like these cartoonish fucking metal bins that just read like toxic waste
0: yeah it's it's like the ones from return of the living dead yeah
1: so anyway i feel like the opening scrawl here is absurd and unwarranted but- like <laughs> I think you can really describe this
0: entire movie as those two words. <laughs> That's so lawyerly. It was absurd and unwarranted. Yeah, it's how I would describe a criminal act. <laughs> but let me read. Let me read the the intro crawl. This is this is like an art crime, right? <laughs> this is an assault on the senses. So let the listeners judge. I'm gonna read this if you haven't seen it. On April 1st, 1973, the most bizarre and macabre event in all of Brooklyn's modern history occurred. Twelve people, inhabitants of a reputed house of prostitution and an illegal abortion clinic, were killed. Only one occupant survived. When found by police, she told a tale so fantastic and horrific, she was believed to be insane. Authorities immediately placed her in an insane asylum. The most brilliant investigators spent years trying to solve this gruesome mystery, but to this day are still baffled. Could the rantings of a girl, supposedly insane, be true? The makers of this film believe so. So at least least it's not saying that it really happened. No, no. Hang on. Hang on. Let's put this in context.
1: This is immediately followed by a scene where our main character, well, the main woman, girl, (laughs) is wheeled down a hospital hallway in a gurney where she is then followed by topless nurses holding axes.
0: (laughs) This is why I think it's supposed to be absurd. I think it's supposed to be comedic. I, I will say that I, I think
1: there is a lot of um exploitation going on here. I just can't figure out
0: why it's there. The idea, like in theory, it seems comedic, but there none of the comedy is on the screen. <laughs> it's filmed like a depressing grindhouse flick. <laughs> But but see, it could this could also be a pro legalized abortion film. It could be an attack on the kind of prohibitions that were pre Roe v. Wade, right, where people did have to have coat hanger abortions. And you actually see the coat hanger in this movie with all the like, you know, (laughs) the strips of flesh hanging off of it. And then the doctor hangs her coat on top (laughs) of the the innards. I'm I'm calling her doctor but it's really big mama the big the mama. madam of the brothel. Yeah. But during the trailer I was thinking about the music. What did you think of the music? Better than expected. All I right. think it's really good.
1: It's by a guy named Joseph Terry. We are I'm getting into review territory, but I just want to say that I think this movie starts out very strong as like a exploitative special effects sleaze fest. And I think the music really accentuates that in the beginning. But then there's a point where once the stage is completely set, I feel the movie starts to fall apart a little bit. Well, not a little bit. It starts to fall apart at the seams when the movie starts to rely on the characters interacting with each other to move the plot along. I think that is when this movie starts to fall to the wayside.
0: Well, I I do like a lot of his music at the end of the film. It's very industrial, sort of music, concrete noise music, uh, which I'm a big fan of, as I think I've said in the past. But yeah, this guy he only he only worked on one other movie, Head Games in 1996, and he was in the art department. He wasn't even the composer. But I think he does a great job. But anyway, let's talk about some of the beats of this story. The setting of this movie, they go to this. It looks like an old farmhouse in a poor area of town. I think the whole thing is brilliant. Like, it looks perfect. And all of the interior looks perfect for this film.
1: Yeah, it's because this film was shot on site in like some ass neighborhood and a house that was built like 40 years prior to the filming of this.
0: Yeah, this is this ranks with criminally insane as movies we've covered with really authentic settings. The only time this movie feels really fake to me is at the end the scenes in the the hospital or the institution look like the inside of a high school gymnasium with fake walls put up. But other than that this may be a really dumb movie, but I think the setting is, is truly horrific and feels very real and threatening and grimy. And it reminds me of like a Frank Henenlotter film, like Basket Case. Um, I think that's kind of what this movie's going for, by the way. Like, I think that's the tone it's trying to capture. It's just not as good at it. But she wants to have the baby. And she says that even if she... You know, she won't tell anyone he's the father. She's gonna put it up for adoption. And even if she did want an abortion, this place is, is not legal. But he insists that she at least go in and talk to him. And that's when we meet Sherman, who is kind of the bouncer slash pimp slash bodyguard character, and Big Mama. What did you think of Big Mama? I like how she had the she has the uh, the
1: monogrammed like fucking cufflings on her collar for B.M. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Her outfit in that scene reminds me of like Beetlejuice. It's like a striped black suit with a roughly white tuxedo style shirt in the front. Um, and that's how she looks in the whole movie, like ridiculous. She looks like Divine, like that's the look she's going for this This character
1: needed more screen time needed more fleshing out for the script and she starts she's she's foreshadowed as being this like authority figure that all of these other criminals will listen to, but then as the movie carries on it uh I don't know she just doesn't live up to the hype
0: I think that's intentional I'm being very obnoxiously academic in this episode, but um <laughs> I, I think that
1: I think I we th- call this we call this cognitive dissonance.
0: In the in the beginning, she is like the feminist ideal, right? She's powerful, she's dramatic, she has created her own business, as unethical as it might be. All of these men listen to her. She has clear authority. But then once things really start happening, she loses any authority she had at one point she tells one of the other women like don't worry big mama's going to make sure everything turns out all right or something like that and the other woman is like i don't think so and it's clear she's lost any of her maternal power and the men have taken it from her right with their guns and their fighting and their their strength and i think that that's a, that's almost a feminist critique do you think I'm just uh, insane here <laughs> or oh, okay, Is, okay. is so, there any merit to this? All right, so so this savant, Francis Terry,
1: created his life's work, a movie about a mutant aborted fetus come to life to seek revenge for the <laughs> violation against God's will of life, where he where, where Francis here is tackling the issue of abortion, gentrification classism and now on top of all that oh oh and sex work sex works place in society and and then finally feminism right are we is he trying to tell women to to stay out of organized crime and stay in
0: the kitchen is that what we're getting at this is the moment that video store nightmares goes full woke and that's the last time i'll ever use that word because i hate it but let's let's move on to the let's move on to the meat of this scene right where big mama gives who is oh our main girl doesn't have a name she's just girl girl (laughs) that makes our job so much easier so Big Mama <laughs> offers the girl some, it looks like Kool-Aid, but I guess it's wine. It pour, she pours it out of a pitcher. And at first, girl is like, no, I don't want any. Big Mama says never refuse hospitality. And I love this room they're in. There's like wood paneling and creepy art on the walls and a ventriloquist dummy in the corner. And this is like the abortion room.
1: I really thought this was gonna be a bathroom and they were gonna throw her in a bathtub for the abortion. but yep. no, it really just is like some kind of closet with a, with a fucking fan.
0: The fan is creepy as hell. Did it creep you out?
1: It didn't creep me out, but I think it really sets the tone for uh just how dingy this fucking room be.
0: It's It's masterful though there it's a it's a dirty fan that's built into the wall. And I actually haven't seen that in real life before. And it casts these rotating shadows on the rest of the room. So there's lots of scenes where these rotating shadows are going across the camera. And it, it seems very artsy and dark and moody. And by the way, I wa- this was my first time watching like the HD remaster of this. And it looks incredible. The The movie used to look like real fuzzy and scuzzy and dirty. In some ways that felt more authentic. But I was amazed at how artsy these shots looked in the cleaned up version. It's truly incredible that this got a remaster. So much does now. That's why I was so shocked uh, a couple of episodes ago when we were talking about the Jar never getting a re-release. Yeah, how did the jar not get a re-release, but this did? Well, this is when our protagonist girl says that she doesn't want the abortion, but she came for her boyfriend's sake. She says, he stuck with me this far, so I might as well please him. I'm not sure what her endgame is here. She just wanted
1: to show up, say, hey, you know, we looked at it, it was great, and then she wanted to leave.
0: I mean, I think the I think the point is that she has her own will and desire, but at the end of the day, she can't say no to him. So if he tells her that they're going, then she's going to ultimately cave and go. But let's play this scene. Okay. well, first off, before we even play this clip,
1: you cannot blame her for backing out or wanting to back out because of how dingy this fucking room be. Like, oh, yeah, if I, I wouldn't if I were to choose to have an abortion, Luke, it would not be
0: here. But see, this is how when when you ban abortion, this is the kind of place that abortions end up being done. And that's are the end saying, of my politics for this. Episode. Are you saying
1: this film is prophetic?
0: Well, I think it's looking back because if it's supposed to be taking place in 1971 or 1972, like before Roe v. Wade, this this would have been how it was in some places. You know, minus the uh, giant mutant killer fetus. Yeah, see, this is really a, a revenge film on behalf of women. Or fetuses, or both, I don't know. Okay, no, I got it. Francis Terry here
1: is really just trying to educate us on the merits of having government institutionalized sanctioned abortion so that we can avoid situations like this. And the mutant killer fetish is just the hook to just get you know butts in the seats in the theater so that he can spread his political message.
0: Yeah, throwback to people like the Kuchar brothers. That's who he's really paying homage to. And then the prostitutes and the nudity,
1: just all extraneous, that's a bonus. He's just chipping it in there. Have fun, guys.
0: That's my deep cut and my politics for the day. Let's play this scene. you've decided to do the smart thing
1: yes i'm having it i'm only here
0: for his sake He stuck with me this far so i might as well please him anyway what do you care you just want the money (laughs) child i don't
1: need your money i own this big house and i'm living good you're young so let me explain something to you Having it when the time is right is a smart thing to do. I won't kill it. Child, listen. You can
0: speak all you want to after I'm finished. This thing you think you're killing has no eyes, no ears, no fingers. It ain't human. Not yet. This is the easy way out, real easy. Be smart.
1: All right. So if we're really going with the narrative that Francis Terry here is actually pro abortion, don't you think he'd be at least trying to cast Big Mama in a more positive light? Because she's using some very frank terms.
0: No bedside manner here whatsoever. I think he's trying to emphasize how horrific the whole experience would be if you had to get an abortion this way instead of with your healthcare provider.
1: Ah, uh, so, you know, if you're getting an abortion with somebody who's just in it for the profit, then this is what you got to go for. This is what you got to deal with, as opposed to the healthcare
0: industry where they do it for profit
1: <laughs> in America at the very least.
0: Hey, I, like Planned Parenthood is nonprofit. We could argue about the salaries of their overhead, but they're ostensibly nonprofit. But anyway, there is no character in this movie that it ha- has any redeeming qualities, really. Um, except for Sherman, I think. So, girl. Girl is, we only see her victimized, right? Like, she doesn't really make any decisions for us to judge. So, are you saying that if girl
1: were to be a fleshed out character, that we would just like her even less? I think so she's at least like showing empathy and compassion for this living thing inside of her.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't judge her really. I'm just saying that, you know, we're 10 minutes into the movie and she's drugged and passes out and she spends most of the rest of the time asleep and she just doesn't really have any agency. So like, I don't know what to think about her. I watched this film with someone else And
1: about like two thirds of the way in, he's like, wasn't there like a mom we were supposed to be focusing on? She really just falls off the script.
0: Yeah, she's just sleeping
1: on the couch through all of this. Like, would you believe her eyewitness testimony when she's just been sleeping on the couch this whole time?
0: No. No. (laughs) She actually, she reminds me a lot of Barbara in Night of the Living Dead. And I think she's supposed to. It, you know, Barbara is very much a victim in that film, too. I think that film handles it a little bit better. But um, I think that's the sort of character she's supposed to be just very passive. But, you know, what? this really like the scene we just played, that could all be John Waters dialogue. Like if this film were just filmed in with the appropriate irony and self-awareness, that's the kind of tone you would need to make this work. But while all that's happening, uh, there's a dispute going on between one of the prostitutes and her John, and we don't really know what it's about, but it ends with her shooting him while uh, Sherman, who by, he looks like Lionel Richie, that's what I called him in my notes. so um, but Sherman uh, is trying to mediate this dispute. But anyway, we end up with a dead John and a hysterical, sex worker and they put the dead body in the bathtub this one throwaway scene is what keeps a
1: one of the black characters from being the first killed character of this film which is a very no well-known trope at this point in horror films before 2000
0: yeah as sleazy and uh, pitiful as they are the this movie does give roles to a diverse cast of characters and they play, you know, untraditional roles, um, except the degree to which I think it it's a throwback to Night of the Living Dead. Um, but wh- did you think there was any point to this whole segue with the dispute and the murder? The
1: implication is that this John was doing something very unsavory to this sex worker. And I think this is at least establishing that Maybe this guy's actually humanizing sex workers because he's showing that this woman actually has standards. She has a limit. she has some some like boundary of human decency that can be destroyed it can be violated. Man, you know, Francis Terry really was a progressive when he released this film. right. that's what I'm saying. And, but then, you know, she commits like cold blooded murder. So, like, oh, what's he trying to say there? Right. That, that she has no self control, that she can't, <laughs> that maybe the criminal justice system is inefficient and, you know, meeting out restitution in cases like these. So it's important to, you know, take up the, the reins of vigilanteism in order to make things right. All right.
0: So I think we've beat the critical theory stuff to death. And we've just got to take these characters as the absurd psychological contradictions that they are.
1: You can't stop me. You can't stop me from making theory. And besides you started this. I'm I've
0: given birth to a suckling that I can no longer control. But after this, um, after the guy gets shot, I really like it. This, this one girl says like, what's not girl um th- th- this other sex worker asks what's going on and candy who is our probably our most prominent sex worker character you think
1: and probably the most stereotypical
0: yeah so candy responds after finding out that Tammy shot this guy candy says all right for Tammy guy gets his penis sucked and he gets shot off instead this place never quits and I think I think she's kind of a cool addition to the movie. Like she has lines like that all the time and they don't really land. I w- I think the way they wanted them to, but it's still refreshing. She's at least different.
1: She definitely has the look of that like late 50s washed up woman who is just in the gutter selling her body like with like the the the. The raspy voice the the mannerisms that i the, you know i don't give a fuck attitude it's all there i i think she's probably the most authentic character in the film even though her line delivery is not the best
0: yeah i would say all of these characters have like they look the parts for sure there is an authenticity there but none of them are good actors do you think anyone gave a good performance Lionel Richie seemed to do all right. He's okay. He's okay. Like as a generic hero character, he's fine. If we
1: want to talk about characters that didn't land, um I'd say Axel, the um uh, the I'm assuming Hispanic muscle of the house, did, really he obviously his actions are unhinged.
0: But I thought a- I thought Axel was just a white guy. Is he? I think so actor's last name is Rivera. No, maybe anyway. Maybe, I just I, called him asshole in my notes. Yeah. Asshole. You know, we can go with that.
1: So uh, asshole here uh, didn't really come off as like unhinged to me as far as like his personality his mannerisms, but it, it also he, he the, the extent to which he self sabotages everybody's uh, fucking day in this house
0: has like zero logic behind it it feels so forced yeah he definitely there's no logical justification for this character although i do think we get various male archetypes here like we've got you know the the jock hero type that the movie wants us to forget like basically forced his girlfriend to get an abortion against her consent. Um, But anyway, so we've got the jock hero type. We've got the violent, um, dangerous, frightening asshole. We have the sleazy businessman who is, you know, lazy and just takes advantage of women. And we've got the sort of hero type that is going to lead everyone, you know, the ex-military guy. These are very archetypal roles. And that's kind of how I took it, even though it doesn't even though there's no backstory or character development. All right, well, speaking of representation,
1: uh, this this one prostitute, John, who's probably the most obnoxious person in the film, despite the fact that he's not really... Uh, he's killed less people than fucking asshole.
0: Yeah, I just called him businessman.
1: Businessman? Yeah. Just because he's wearing a suit, we're going to assume he's a businessman? I think has- at one point he says he's a businessman. Anybody can say they're a businessman.
0: Yeah, we don't really know. Seems like the kind of guy who would lie to impress prostitutes. He does talk about his like brand new Porsche or some kind of car that's parked out in the road. Yeah. He wants to. It, this guy is all about saving himself and his stuff to a comical degree. All of these characters become so archetypal that it's ridiculous and absurd. Right. So in some ways, it's like a detriment to the movie, I think it It. I was so angry at these characters for large stretches of the movie and at all of the characters that it was difficult for it for me to find pleasure in it. You know,
1: I'm not expecting everybody to act rational under stress, but I am expecting people to not do self-defeating behaviors like destroying what might be the only way to get out of the house because after the creature has made its presence known it is brought to the attention of the entire cast that not only is this monster killing people inside the house but it has somehow um, managed to barricade every exit that you could possibly think of to get out i'm assuming what this is supposed to be is that the suckling has created a womb prison around the house and is systematically aborting each person one after the other. Right? It,
0: it's, yeah, I. I, I think I it's a. I think it's supposed to be like placenta around the the doors and windows, and that's exactly how I thought of it. That they were they were in their own womb.
1: It it feels like there was at least an intention at some point during the filmmaking process to show this, to show that it's happening because during the credits for no reason, we're treated to some scenes like two, maybe three of some random ass people outside the house where there's clearly shit plastered on the house. That looks like a fleshy material and they're getting absolutely fucking destroyed by some acid that was created by the, uh, the suckling it's, itself.
0: Yeah, they're like melting and pulling away their skin and turning into skeletons. It it's cool special effects, but I have no idea why they're there.
1: Yeah, it felt there's absolutely no scene in the movie where this is this could really take place unless they really wanted to shoot more exterior shots and then either they didn't make it into the film or this guy ran out of money to make the movie, so they just kind of used what they had.
0: I think they ran out of money, and I think that's one of the reasons things fall apart in the end. So it's around this time that we see the suckling for the first time, and it starts by them flushing the fetus down the toilet and we see it going down this um, we see it going down this slide and into the sewer. This movie was called Sewer Baby in Europe, which is a more fitting title, I guess, but I don't like it as much. But anyway, so we see the sewer baby laying there, and then we see him begin to transform into the suckling. What did you think of the special effects and the look of him? I don't
1: think we will be able to properly describe just how this scene looks, where you see this pitiful, (laughs) this absolutely pitiful fetus bottle. (laughs) Tumble down a fucking sewer chute. Into a grungy, stereotypical Hollywood sewer. With plenty of lighting and flowing water. Only to have this lump of flesh. Get carried by the current into a large pool of toxic waste. Where we are then treated to. Honestly, a very long sequence of this thing growing in size. And there's a point where it gets to about the size of a child. And it's a very articulate puppet that pulsates and moves and looks. And it's like impressive for everything else in this film. The special effects are actually pretty top notch. I think like they're it. really cool. Yeah. yeah. um And then you can tell that the director and the special effects team were so fucking proud of this puppet. Because we get to see this thing writhe in the fucking darkness of the sewer
0: for a continued like 40 second shot. I actually think I think this is the the coolest visual we ever get is is the suckling before it becomes the suckling when it's that pitiful fetus thing and it starts to pulsate and writhe around. But the suckling is pretty cool, too.
1: It's okay. I think the eyes needed to be more monstrous and less, uh, less human-like.
0: I mean, it. It. I think it's supposed to look comical. I don't think it's supposed to look scary. I'm not sure. It
1: looks like it has the eyes of like a Theodore Rex or some shit.
0: Yeah, it reminds me. It reminds me of like the, the mother monster at the end of Dead Alive. Like it, it's it's grotesque and I guess kind of creepy, but also just ridiculous and just kind of funny looking. It's got like googly eyes.
1: I kind of wish it just had like like black eyes or horse eyes or something like that to really like drive forward like this, um, like the monstrous aspects of it, because it already has like weird fucking teeth and shit. Like you might as well just go all the way, like really make it look like, like something in the womb that has monsterized and not like grown fully developed human eyes that just happen to be like the size of uh fucking golf balls.
0: Well, one feature that he has is he can, I guess, like grow long umbilical cords <laughs> and and like move them up the sewer pipes and stuff, and so the first person he kills is one of the one of the women who work in the brothel is investigating the noises coming out of a toilet and so she kneels in front of it and the umbilical cord comes out and rips her head off and pulls the head down the drain I think this thing pulls her head with such force that it decapitates her
1: <laughs> yeah it just pops off just pops off And then her body just sort of like rides around in the bathroom (laughs) like a chicken would like that actually happens with people and uh the the strength of this umbilical cord is unfortunately not consistent because there's a later scene where it wraps around um frat boy's leg and it doesn't just rip it off unfortunately
0: yeah as cool as the special effects are in this movie and i think the monster's really cool too there's no consistency. It, it changes sizes. It um, can, sometimes it can fit in pipes or drains, but in the next scene, it's giant and the umbilical cords, sometimes they get cut off, but then they seem to regrow. He seems to have multiple ones. And sometimes they seem super strong and other times. Yeah. They're, they're They do barely anything.
1: Hey man, have you ever tried to flush a whole human head down a toilet? no but it works apparently yeah again they just built toilets differently back in the 70s oh that's i didn't even think of that that's exactly it well you know nowadays you got your environmentalist flushing with (laughs) minimal water usage
0: well the rest of the group think that candy killed her the the prostitute we were talking about a little earlier and uh Of course, Candy denies that and Big Mama kind of sticks up for her. But it's at this point where Big Mama stops really being relevant and the guys start jockeying for who's going to be in control. So before we get any deeper into the saga of the
1: Suckling's vengeance, um, we really need to cover one more thing that happens uh, before Absolute Bedlam starts. And that is our introduction to the businessman. Who is um, the other customer that we see in the brothel? He opens this briefcase, and where normally you would expect maybe a bunch of papers or cans of Spaghettios or whatever, it is an entire um, collection of sex toys. And if you like freeze frame this shot, you'll see like there's a big fake boob and like multiple dildos. It's but he takes out a very large battery powered dildo. I would be surprised if something like this existed in the 70s, but we're already throwing believability out the window here. So not so much of a problem here. I think these definitely existed. Well, this one is battery powered in that it can be turned on and the, the head will rotate.
0: Yeah, most of them back then you had to plug into the wall, I think. Yeah, this
1: is like battery powered and rotates, right? And so he's brought this. So that it, not that he can use it on the prostitute, but that he, she can use it on him. Again, very progressive, right? <laughs> yeah. He is here for the Dommy mommy experience. She has the whip. She's got the fucking outfit. And she basically uh, dominates him with all the tools that are available. And it's surprisingly graphic um in terms of like we get to see characters gyrate and like really get into what the action and what's going on you know talking about like awkward shit in this film I thought that was actually one of the most awkward things there's a scene here and at the very end of the movie where we see like sex motions and like awkward
0: situations and I felt like those were a little uncomfortable Honestly, though, this is weird, but the most the only thing about this scene that really made me uncomfortable was he's wearing this little childlike <laughs> hat that has a like a propeller on top that spins around. And it's a hat that I associate with like a toddler wearing. And so that gave the whole scene this really creepy, dirty vibe to it for me. But otherwise, I I the sex motions <laughs> didn't really bother me. I kind Man. of expect them. He wanted to be punished by
1: mommy. So he's wearing his little fucking propeller beanie.
0: Oh, I got it. I just, uh, it, no kink shaming, but I, I don't share that particular one. So then the, the next girl who's killed, it, it gets her from under the bed and then it like scurries down the toilet again. So it really is bouncing around in its size. But I don't even remember this girl's name. She's another one of the sex workers who lives at the brothel
1: nah victim number two um this is one of those monster movies where they just sort of line up uh, a few of the characters it's just cannon fodder for monster special effects
0: but i did find it kind of i don't know i can't think of a suitable word i found it interesting that the (laughs) i found it interesting that the girls in the house are all asking like you know what's going on and you know, is, is someone killing people? And, you know, they're confused and they keep saying, well, big mama will know, you know, big mama will fix this. And at this point in the movie, they really do like genuinely believe that she is going to take care of everything. And that, that's just so like mind blowing to me. I mean, again,
1: that big mama is built up to be like this big authoritarian figure who gets shit done in the wake of the suckling she is powerless
0: well I do like it one of the at this point Axel the asshole character he wants to be in charge but it really the the Lionel Richie guy's in charge at some point one of the other characters says like we need a plan we need to come up with a plan and he says asshole says I have a plan fuck it up is my plan And he's like, you know, pointing his gun at the ceiling, all uh, white trash, Rambo imitation style. I don't know. I hated this character. Like, I loathed him. I, I, he could not die soon enough. He doesn't die soon enough. No, he doesn't. He makes it almost through the entire movie. But I, I, like, he's not the kind of character that, oh, you love to hate him right like orson wells and touch of evil no this is like i hate hated him i wanted him out of the movie like why does anyone keep this guy around hate well they actually vocalize that a few times because sherman is about to shoot him and says like we would all be safer without him here we can't trust him but the suckling breaks through the wall and grabs him and that's the end of sherman
1: It's not really established whether the suckling actually kills Sherman or if assholes' errant firing of his pistol in the direction of the suckling is actually what kills him.
0: Were you surprised by this scene?
1: I was surprised that they killed him off. I I thought he was going to be more prominent until the end and then
0: maybe kill him off. There's only a few scenes like this, but there are moments where it is Seems like a genuinely well crafted horror film. Like, this is a genuinely shocking moment where a great looking practical effects monster bursts through a wall and grabs our main character, crushing him. Like, it, this is a well done scene.
1: I mentioned Deep Blue Sea earlier because there's a similar situation, except the character has just finished giving a very inspirational speech about how they're going to overcome the. You know, homicidal sharks, and then uh, is immediately killed by a homicidal shark. This happens like halfway through the film.
0: Uh I think I've I've heard of that or seen clips of it. But let's talk about the businessman a little bit, because in addition to his mommy kink, he has he he has less desirable personality traits. He he tells he tells um one of the girls at one point, he's like, I need to get out of here. Because unlike you, I have things to live for. Those are the kinds of things he says. Right. So what did you think of this character
1: overall? Is he supposed to be like the quintessential American? Is is this supposed to be a mirror for the audience to look at and be like, oh, my God, is that something I would say?
0: I think he's <laughs> supposed to I think he's supposed to be like an elitist, you know, or classist uh wealthy guy probably acting wealthier than he is right he seems like a like a middle class guy to me but um he absolutely refuses to use a hammer and screwdriver because that is below his station sort of person
1: yeah this guy who's uh, such high class secretly just wants to be penetrated by his mom
0: it you know i actually thought it was pretty insightful um there's a moment where the Lionel Richie guy is you know get forcing him to do some work and he says something like this is horrible I've never been treated like this before and I think it's Candy says he doesn't like his new social position and I was like that's like this is probably the first time in his life that a person of color or a person without a degree or a professional job is telling him what to do it really is a it's an inherently dramatic situation it is very very light defense
1: they're asking him to take a screwdriver and use it as a chisel with a hammer against a solid wooden door Luke, why would they choose to try to chisel through this fucking door when they literally just opened a window and have access to like the fleshy womb? Wouldn't I... they have a better idea, like, chance of using the screwdriver to like chisel a fucking like hole in the womb of, of nice, soft, tender flesh to escape? Look, I also if... find it hard to believe
0: that these are the only two tools in this entire house. Well,. Look, in in its defense, people act irrationally under stress. Right. right. And so and I think there's some degree to which Sherman is just doing something right. He's not sure what to do, but he, he knows that doing something is better than nothing. And so he's giving people tasks to do. And this one elitist businessman is the only one who's not like doing his task. And, uh, well, except for asshole, he's upstairs passed out because Sherman had to beat his head. I think he, like, karate kicks
1: asshole into unconsciousness.
0: Yeah, they have a lot
1: of altercations. So So anyway, this eventually segues into a a fucking Looney Tunes plan where frat boy decides to make a fucking battering ram suspended from the ceiling. With parts assembled around the house to to try to break the door down. He... I didn't. I didn't want to make sure this is a door that opens outward, right? Like, like it opens into the house. So out, like, so in, in terms of the direction they're facing, it opens into the house. Right. So they're they're you know, the battle ramp through fucking solid wood and the reinforced fetus wall on the other side. They are also having to go through the door hinges, which they don't bother to take off.
0: Yeah, at no point did I think that this was going to work. It just comes off as pitiful. And speaking of pitiful, the business guy. First, he tries to pawn off the hammer and screwdriver to one of the women. And Lionel Richie won't let him. And that's when he gets all mad. But he goes to that same girl later and apologizes. And then he says that he really needs it. And he'll give her $100 to go upstairs with him. And when she says, like, no, thanks, he flies off the handle and calls them, uh, calls her and her friend cheap whores. This is like this character is He's not remotely sympathetic.
1: No, he, he, there's a lot of toxic masculinity going on in here. Oh, he says it like
0: whores.
1: <laughs> yeah, he. I accent. don't know what kind of accent he has, but. I've only ever heard uh, Danny DeVito pronounce it like that, too. Like on uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia.
0: Oh, I think he actually does have a Pennsylvanian accent. I don't know, but. They don't even get a chance to test the battering ram because asshole comes downstairs and shoots it off the ceiling. So in from the like, yeah, okay, this is, we're supposed to hate this character. Right. And he's doing something that's awful and sets the main characters back and all of that. But then they, they fix it later and ultimately do it, which if I was a screenwriter, that seems like a big waste of time, right? Like, if, if the bad guy of the movie destroyed my method, then I'm just going to go on to another method. Because in terms of a movie, that's more interesting.
1: Yeah, the script here is not, is not the strong point of this film. If you're going to say it has strong points, this is not it. After this battering ram is destroyed and Lionel Richie is pulled into the wall, retreated to a series of scenes where all the characters or most of the cast is lurking around
0: in the basement what were they looking for so they come up with this theory this is mostly assholes theory that the suckling has to be some kind of animal and all animals have homes and all animals have homes so that they have heat So it probably lives in the boiler room and they can go kill it there. Right, right. He's obsessed with killing it. He says that that nobody is allowed to try and escape until it's dead to a degree. I think they go way over the top here in painting this guy as kind of an unhinged, uh, terrorizer like he makes the businessman bark like a dog for I don't know what reason and it's in a normal movie that would be like a really perverse um disturbing I guess moment that would really establish him as a bad guy and in this movie it's just another moment just another line of dialogue yeah bark like a dog in this scene I don't know if that's a strength or a weakness
1: Either way, this uh this crusade into the basement ends in miserable failure. Yeah, I, they, I think this guy has to be like the worst shot of all time.
0: Well, and this gun.
1: Everything. Oh, and while I'm thinking about it, the the bullets, whenever they hit anything, there's just sparks. Doesn't matter what it is. Wall, like <laughs> wallpaper, sparks, pipes, head sparks. Ed sparks. There's, there's a scene where a character eventually kills herself by shooting herself in the head other side of the head sparks
0: (laughs) yeah i noticed that um but not only are they sparks they're limitless i mean they never reload this gun i kept thinking that it was going to be a plot point that it ran out of bullets but that's not until almost the end of the movie and this is after he's fired a bunch of holes in all the hot water pipes. And one of them has blasted him in the face and burnt. Now he looks like two face with half his face burnt, but he doesn't only seem to react. To
1: yeah. He only has himself to blame. No, nah, he, he is blinded with bloodlust. He just wants to,
0: he just wants to kill this fetus. Yeah. He's, he's terrible. Um, but this is the part where I thought that actually the the music and the special effects and the visuals are all really effective. Uh, we got, we get this sort of unnerving uh, industrial experimental noise music and the suckling can burst out of walls at any point or shoot its umbilical cord up through the pipes. And, you know, all these people are sitting against the walls after it got, the black guy, I would not be sitting against any walls because I would assume it could j- burst through them at any point. Well, you can you could sit
1: against walls that are for the exterior of the house.
0: Well, apparently not because out there is placenta.
1: Yeah, but if he has to break through the wall, assuming it's the suckling's a he, you know, breaks through the wall to get to you, well, assume, the assumption is that then the fetus wall is broken and you can escape, right?
0: yeah i guess so
1: yeah anyway um maybe you know we, we have already probably put about 50 times more thought into the script than whoever wrote it
0: ah uh, we'll never know I, or, I mean maybe maybe the blu-ray reveals if anyone has you know heard documentaries or interviews let us know because i'm genuinely curious what what this guy's like um but let's skip ahead and talk about Asshole's death. He is running at the, the, he's running at the suckling with a metal pole. He's going to spear it. But of course, the suckling just steps out of the way because he's, he's moving from across the other side of the room. And so instead, he rams the metal pole into the electricity circuit and electrocutes himself and then explodes the electricity
1: circuit it's like a whole ass power box
0: yeah it, it, whatever it is electrocutes him and then he explodes yeah he
1: that's what happens to the human body when it's exposed to too much electricity it just it, it just explodes
0: well they, yeah they that's the okay, same so reason like-
1: let's think about this approach right he walks into this room and this monster is actually already kind of self-electrocuting on this box for whatever reason i'm not sure why so maybe he maybe he he thrives on electricity so then assholes first instinct is to pick up a metal pipe to stab the electrified monster to kill it like even if this plan succeeded he still would have died like the electricity would have just assuming the 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 suckling is conductive would have just gone straight into him and he would have died yeah I mean he's an idiot but the most important thing about this scene is that now asshole is out of the way so we can go back to uh, making this fucking battering ram
0: yeah which eventually works right and they bust a hole through and they want to send girl Wait, out
1: because we need to describe what's on the other side here.
0: No, we're not it even... to. Just, it, it, it isn't even just the outside. What is it, Luke? What is out there? We don't know yet. They have to send someone out to investigate. And they want to send girl because she's the smallest, which seems like a sensible idea. But the businessman won't have it. He wants to go first. And so when he goes through... He enters what appears to be a big mess of ropes and pieces of cloth. But I think it's supposed to look like internal genetic organ placenta something.
1: This man straight up crawls into the fetus dimension.
0: Yeah, he goes he goes a long way.
1: Like imagine if you were to make a pillow fort in a womb.
0: Yeah. And he he goes a long way crawling through it until the suckling gets him because somehow the suckling is out there too. Or do you think it's a different suckling?
1: Like, no, nah, it's the suckling. But to be fair, you know, he kind of like made this thing. It's like his house. Again, assuming the suckling is a he, um so it should have like very knowledgeable like terrain knowledge uh terrain information about how to get from one place to the other and it can again go through pipes go through walls it's basically limitless this this is an apex predator luke and they are in its jungle
0: well i i don't understand and this might be my own limitation i don't understand how it can reduce its mass right i know how it can change shape but i or or you know you even squeeze into spaces, but I don't understand how it can literally become smaller. Well, actually, you know what? This is, this secret is revealed
1: at the end of the film. It is it, is it really revealed? Well, everybody decides to give up on trying to escape because good luck trying to crawl through that, you know, death pillow fort. So eventually big mama separates herself from the group. Gets picked off, and then we're left with girl and her boyfriend. So then
0: the suckling comes to them. And it, it bursts through the floor, I think, and gets the, the boyfriend. Right in front of her.
1: And she, aghast in horror, knows only to back away, to get away from this thing, to make as much space as possible. But now she's on the ground, on the floor, her back against the wall as this thing approaches her. And my first thought was that it was going to like approach her. And then it was going to be like mama or something. And somehow that would disarm the situation.
0: That's not what happens. No, this is very, um, if you've seen extra, this is extra territory. It, it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller until it's like a little fetus creature again. And it climbs back inside of her. We see it, like, wiggling under her dress and then bulging up under her dress as it crawls back into her stomach. What did you think of this scene? I
1: did not see this coming at all. I, I did not anticipate. I probably would never have anticipated this to happen. But at least we have the mystery of it going through pipes somewhat solved, Right. If it is able to constantly change its size at will.
0: Now, do you think that, do you think we are supposed to believe that? Or do you think that this is supposed to be a reveal that it was never real to begin with, that it was always her?
1: So that meaning she just, she systematically killed everybody in a, in a crime, had like a crime crack house? Yeah and vengeance for the abortion she did not want. Right. That seems far-fetched especially for the ending.
0: Yeah, but, it I mean, I think it is I think it is a read we could have on the movie like I can totally see someone thinking that. I I don't I don't think it works entirely. Um so but it is a possible reading. It's either that or it can just change its size. Yeah, either or. So, of course, the doctors don't believe her, and she ends up in the gymnasium insane asylum with uh, other, you know, classic 70s crazy people. And the nurses decide that they're going to rape her. So they take her out in the hallway and strap her to this gurney thing. And he starts uh, going to town while the other one keeps a lookout. And that's when the umbilical cord appears.
1: Were they nurses or orderlies?
0: I don't know. They are they're they work in this institution, whatever it would have been. <laughs>
1: they're, like, they're orderlies. They're orderlies. Let's not search the nurse profession on, on the, the whole stretch of this episode.
0: Well, the suckling gets them. Is it okay for the suckling to get orderlies, just not nurses?
1: I think it's more about like the uh, the intent for sexual battery that we're getting at
0: here, and that th- so that's more true of orderlies.
1: Well, there's definitely less of a less of a like professional hurdle to overcome to become an orderly, right? All right, I get Which that. Obviously, means that they are more likely to commit workplace offenses.
0: Well, in the realm of this
1: movie, anything goes. So kind of look like minorities. So in the spirit of this film, they would have to be criminals, right? Yeah. I
0: guess that makes sense if we're being consistent. But anyway, what what do you think of this as an ending? Was it satisfying? Would this movie have been better if it just
1: ended with uh, the thing crawling up inside her?
0: I thought it was going to. And then it kept going
1: yeah i feel like at that point they could have just showed her in the bed pulled out maybe had like an ominous noise happen and then cut the film cut the black that probably would have been better the term could have been better feels like uh it is not out of place discussing just about anything in this movie
0: all right i think that's a good segue into final thoughts and a rating out of four
1: If you know what you're getting into from the onset, this probably isn't as bad as I'm going to make it seem. But this is definitely um, probably on many people's uh, bad, good films list. I could not take this film seriously. Um, I, I did think that it was it has a lot of great ideas for like an exploitation film, like all the content is there. I'm telling you, like the first 10, 15 minutes are the best parts of this movie. But then after that, the weak script just hamstrings everything after that. If the characters not were not necessarily more likable, but more fleshed out, more, more memorable, less stereotypical, and had better interactions with each other, this probably would have been like a, a film we would put on a you know top 20 list somewhere because everything else is like on par. Like the look is in, the scene is in, like the, the setting is in, the, the subject matter is fucked up. The special effects are great, especially in the beginning when we see the suckling turning into its like penultimate form in the sewer. The gore effects are pretty cool too. Um, really, the only thing to, to ding on for special effects would be uh, the, the ridiculous gunshot sparks that happen after anything is shot, whether it be, a, you know, a wall, a, like any surface or, or person. Just so strange. Um, the music is pretty good for a film of this caliber, but. The script is so bad that I had a hard time paying attention to anything else. It 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 was a struggle to make it through this film for me, which is unfortunate because again, I feel like there's a lot here that that does work in the uh, framework of like this absurd, exploitative schlock. Like, I hate to do it, but I think this is like. This is like a one and a half star film, and that might be a little generous, just because not everything misses. Uh, Luke, the main character doesn't have a name, <laughs> and it's not for like any sort of artistic reason, right? It's
0: I don't think like some, so.
1: It's not like some Cormac McCarthy shit, where this guy, with the script is just full of people with no names and semicolons. Like this, this is just girl. <laughs> For no reason. she represents all of girlhood. Oh, so it's like it's like how in Twilight you have and and the shades of gray, you have that one boring ass white girl so anybody can just like impress themselves on that character, right? Is that where I'm getting at? Is that where sure I'm getting yeah, at? yeah, okay. great. At least they bothered to name their characters. They didn't even take the was it Francis Terry did not take the the time to
0: do that. Well, I'm I'm not okay. I think this movie is like it's one half 1970s drive in grindhouse schlock exploitation, the kind of stuff that I really love. And all of the aspects of the movie that are from that lineage, I think, are really good. Like with the right tone, this could be a John Waters script. Like he could direct this, I think, and make it work. But this is just not tonally handled as well. But the other half of the movie is, I think, this sort of self-aware, intentionally campy and intentionally politically incorrect and offensive. And it that's a very, like, late 80s, 90s ethos, right? Um. And I don't think that part of the movie works. I don't think any of its humor really lands. I think it, it's more funny because of its ineptitude uh, than anything else. Um, but I enjoy the experience of watching it. I get a kick out of the characters. I, if you can like not take them seriously and you know treat them like characters in a trauma movie, kind of, then I think it, you can enjoy them. I love the look of the film. I think the suckling itself is really cool and um, the special effects are well done. The only part of the movie that really bores me is the scenes that turn into like typical monster movie fare where they're like chasing each other around in the boiler room or, you know, through the shooting him in the walls, all that stuff I don't think works. And it's kind of boring to me. But the rest of the movie I get a real kick out of um i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it two and a half
1: that is too generous and you know it
0: i think there's a lot interesting going on here even if it's not intentional
1: i will say though i kind of i kind of missed the wokeness of this film watching it until you uh until
0: you brought it up so thank you for introducing that aspect to me i mean i c- i am i am fairly certain that I'm totally wrong (laughs) and none of that critical theory stuff is is intended but who knows let's consult the match gate ball which cannot answer that question but it can tell us what we're going to watch next week All right, next week, we are going back to the world of Charles Band, and in particular, Empire Pictures, for 1986's Necropolis. Have you seen this one, Leland? I don't believe so. This one, I don't want to give too much away, but have you ever seen Psychos in Love? No. So the the main star of Necropolis, Leanne Baker, is also the main star of, of Psychos in Love. And I think she's great. Like, I really love her. Um, but this movie is kind of like a, it's a very new wave. I think you'll enjoy it. It's very authentic. It's another movie that feels really authentic and kind of grungy. Until next week. You can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares where I post everything we do. And please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to us. Uh, Leland, any last words? I have some box
1: art for the suckling pulled up and it has the tagline. It'll suck your brains out. It doesn't suck a single brain.
0: No, the the whole promotion of that movie was really bad. I, I think it was... I forget who put that out on VHS, but it wasn't well marketed or promoted or anything. And until very recently, I think this movie was practically unknown.
1: Well, regardless, as always, thank you for your
0: continued support. All, all right. right. And we'll talk with you all next week about Necropolis. Oh.